Welcome to the Parent University Podcast. Parent University is a monthly training seminar for parents of teenagers here at Perimeter Church. It is our desire to come alongside families by equipping them to lead their children in a biblical, God-honoring way. We hope you enjoy the following talk. Good morning. So um, we're going to take just a a quick moment to to take a look at what trolling is. And I would imagine the majority of us in this room, let me just see by raise of hands if you're not ashamed, how many of you guys are familiar with what trolling is, online trolling? Okay, so it's about like maybe 10% of the group. Um, but when, when you think about trolling, you might think back to um, like maybe mythical creatures of ogres, dwarves, trolls, that sort of thing. Maybe that's not your cup of tea. Um, if you're anything like me, you might remember these trolls um, back from the 70s, 80s, even into the 90s. I remember seeing these like, you know, fluorescent haired colored things. And it's funny because uh, my wife actually received one, like an actual look, like trollish looking troll. And she would set it up in her dorm room. And every time I'd go visit her in her dorm, I'd actually turn it around because it terrified me. I was like, I can't look at this. I don't want this guy looking at me. Um, that's kind of a, a weird quirk about me. I don't know. Um, but that's not what trolling is. And, and that's not what we're, we're getting at. Trolling really essentially is this. And there's a, <clears throat> excuse me, on, on Wikipedia, right, the, the great source of all truthiness, right, speaking about relative truth, uh, I think it's, it is helpful. It gives us a really good uh, um, Definition. It says, in internet slang, a troll is a person who sows discord on the internet by starting arguments or upsetting people by posting inflammatory, extraneous, or off-topic messages in an online community, such as a news group, a forum, a chat room, or a blog. Uh, and you can throw in, you know, Facebook falls into that, Twitter falls into that, even Instagram falls into that, um, Reddit, which is a, an online news aggregation type site. Um, definitely is a part of this. 4chan also is another one of these sites that people will go on. And intentionally, 4chan, uh, just so that you know, uh, is they kind of put themselves out there and said, we want to be a trolling community. Like, we want people to post stuff, and we just want you to go at it. Have a ball and troll one another. And by trolling one another, we'll get to that in just a second. Uh, With the deliberate intent of provoking readers into an emotional response or of otherwise disrupting normal on-topic discussion. This sense of the word troll and its associated verb trolling are associated with internet discourse but have been used more widely. Um, Media attention in recent years has equated trolling with online harassment. So you might be thinking, well, trolling, as you see it there, definitely applies to an online internet context. It also is something that a lot of our students these days will use even in face-to-face interactions. Um, So you might have a student in a classroom. A teacher might say something that's very obvious, right? Uh, Let's say they're in geometry class, and they'll talk about side-angle side, you know, postulate or whatever, right? Like, oh, yeah, of course we know what that is, right? And they might say something very smart-alecky to the teacher or to the entire class, right? We all grew up with the class clown in the class, right? And many of you guys... um, you know, we, we laugh at people when they're being comedic. Online comics, they face this almost on a, a daily basis whenever they get up in front of a group of people, and it's called heckling, right? We might even do this at home through sarcasm, or we might even mock one another or mock even our children. Our children might even mock us, and it's, it's, it's playful. It can be playful. It can be kind of a, just a way to, um, to interact. It can be something that just causes laughter in the home, makes people stay you know, light on their feet and keeps uh, the, the, the air of the family or an atmosphere much more jovial as opposed to serious. But we all know that left uh, unreined or uncorralled, it can get 
too far, right? And we've probably seen this, especially with if we have multiple kids, um, where they will kind of harass the younger one or one of their other siblings to the point where one ends up in tears, right? That's kind of the idea that I want you to think of about trolling, okay? Could it be just that it's sarcasm or heckling or mocking gone too far? I think yes. Um, But where it gets very dangerous is that it happens in uh, a very, man, how do you say this? Uh, Uber connected, but yet Uber disrelated or unrelated world, right? We have our students and even ourselves where we're online and we even take on online personas, right? And we interact with people and, and certain social media sites, they encourage this interaction, right? Facebook, we talked about this last time where people want likes, people want um, stars, they want favorites because that makes us feel good. It, it kind of generates a sense of wealth and currency for us or for the person who's putting out information, right? And someone might see that and might say, wow, good for you. You've got 1,000 likes on this picture. But I guarantee you there's a bunch of other people who are saying, I don't like you because you have 1,000 likes on this picture. So I am going to troll you. So it's essentially just saying, I don't like what is about you or what you've put up, so I'm going to make you feel bad intentionally. There's a comedian, Louis C.K., he said this on Conan, that um, in, you know, when we were growing up, and even kids today, the, the experiences, when they're out on the playground, they call someone fat, right? And the, the person that they call fat kind of responds viscerally. They're like, oh, in their face contorts, or they might cry, they might run off. And for the person who made that comment might feel bad inside, like, oh, I just made someone cry. I just made this person feel bad. I probably shouldn't do that anymore. And so they, they learn from these experiences. Whereas online, you can poke fun at somebody or troll them and make them feel miserable, and you never get that, you know, that reciprocity, that kind of that feedback from the other person. In fact, that's one of the things that's unique, I think, about trolling is the more of a response you get online. Like you can put up a, a post about... Um, how much you don't like a teacher in class, or let's, rather, let's say how much you like a teacher, right? And then someone in that class or someone that's completely unknown will, might say, well, this teacher is a horrible teacher. And then you might viscerally say, no, no, this is a great teacher, and let me tell you why. And what you've essentially done is just fallen into the trap. Now you are being trolled. Someone is going to get your attention and wants to make you feel upset, uh, and they get pleasure out of that. And that itself is not a new concept either, right? Um, the Germans, right? Well, we'll go to the Germans. We'll go there. They have a word, Schadenfreude. Uh, I think we've got a, a slide on that. And it's essentially a word in German where it means uh, joy and harm, and it's put together. And you're getting joy out of causing harm in other people, right? Uh, as, soon, as soon as I kind of figured out what that meant and what that is, I thought immediately of the Three Stooges. I grew up watching the Three Stooges with my dad, and that was one of our favorite pastimes. And that is really... Schadenfreude, right? Because you're laughing at Moe, Larry, and Curly, and that other stooge, Joe. We don't really care about him. Uh, poking each other's eyes out, punching them in the gut, and it, just, it starts a long chain reaction. I'm getting a lot of stares. Like, I know that you guys know what three stooges are, <laughs> all right? Um, and my, that was something that both my dad and I would laugh at because it was so funny. But we were really, what we're doing is we're laughing at the pain that is being caused there. Schadenfreude. Uh, from Wikipedia again, it says, it's a pleasure derived from the misfortune of others. Um, this is, listen to this comment that someone says about not only just schadenfreude, but um, getting pleasure out of harming someone else. And he said this in 1852. 
What a fearful thing it is that any language should have a word expressive of the pleasure which men feel at the calamity of others. For the existence of the word bears testimony to the existence of the thing. And yet, in more than one such word is found. He's writing, what a horrible comment about society that we have a word that describes this. Unfortunately, that is the reality in which we deal. And trolling is a very real thing that maybe you yourself have fallen victim to. I will be very sure to say that almost all of our students have fell victim to this, whether online or even in real life, where someone is saying, hey, here is so-and-so, let's make them feel bad intentionally. And sometimes they'll do it in a very inflammatory way, and that's in fact called another word called flaming. Like we're going to go and get this person really upset, and so we will just say, very dark, very twisted, very mean, hurtful things to this person intentionally. That's trolling on to the next level, right, uh, called flaming. And, but a lot of times what trolling will do is will come under the guise of helpfulness or the guise of agreement. So um, uh, Mark and I were talking about this just real briefly. There was uh, two candidates, I think in New Hampshire, like they're running for uh, a U.S. representative spot. And the aides of one of the, the candidates actually assumed online personas and got onto the opponent's website and got involved in these user forums and was trying to essentially dissuade his supporters to go and swap and vote for the, the opponent. And it backfired on them because the, the, the online community was just so intent on wanting to vote for this particular candidate that there was nothing that anyone could say. Um, and, and in fact, you know, that candidate lost uh, or the candidate who set up the, the online users, he lost, and it backfired. But that is something that is a reality. They, they will come out, and they won't intentionally be like, hey, you are ugly, you're fat. They'll say, hey, I agree with you because, and they'll come up with some like very absurd answer where it kind of sounds like truth. You know, Getting back to the viral nature of that dress where people are saying, well, if you look at this and that and this, and all you're doing is just trying to egg them on, to get you deeper into conversation, to make you more and more upset. All right, well, that's essentially what trolling is, and I think we would be remiss if we didn't, if we just stopped there. And I want to take just a quick jump here, and I don't think it's too big of a jump, to look at Scripture. And in Scripture, you might say, well, there's no trolling in Scripture, right? Well, I disagree. I think in the garden, we see it at the very beginning. And what does the devil do to Adam and to Eve? Did God really say that? And I think when you think about it in that context, you immediately think, all right, well, now this is a little bit more serious. It's not just kids online being kids. It is a heart issue. And there's a lot of deception that's happening here. And I think we're all prone to wanting to either deceive or not let things remain at the status quo. And that's why we're constantly in need of being reminded of the cross, of the gospel, of our redemption in Christ and Christ alone. And what happens in the garden? Right? They are deceived. Adam and Eve are deceived, but then the promise comes from God that a redeemer will come, right? And he will crush Satan. That is something to me when and you think about the word mocking, if you do like a quick Bible study on the word mocking, you kind of see this as well. Like the prophets, they point to this. Like there is one who will come and he will be mocked on our behalf. And we look at the cross, and that is Jesus himself. He can kind of say this trolling took the the ultimate example on the cross, but Jesus actually kind of flipped it on its head and said, you meant this for harm, but I'm going to do this for good 
and I'm going to give you salvation through faith by grace. Again, that's a brief, brief snippet. We could talk about this a little bit more, but I would encourage you, talk to your kids, uh, your students, about what trolling is. Have they participated in it? Um, why do they do? What joy do they get out of it? For some of them, it's just really for laughs and for giggles. For others, it's really because I don't like this person, and we can't just stop at that surface level. We have to go a little bit deeper. We have to probe the heart, and we have to point them back to Jesus. Um, that might take time. Look at this from Galatians 6, and this is more of a practical verse for us. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, for whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. This is challenging because even as an adult, I don't always do good. Neither is my intent always to do good. I feel like by being with students, I have to lean toward sarcasm or even, in a sense, trolling them. And this is where I need to be an adult. I need to grow up, and I need to say, hey, but let's go back to the heart issues here. Because if we continue on in this, it can be a very dangerous thing. If we're sowing out corruption, if we're sowing out hurtfulness and hatred, that's what we're going to reap. And I think that's the thing that really we need to point back to Jesus. So I'd uh, love to talk to you more about this, um, but at this time, Jeff's going to come up. And I, I do think that this really applies to just even privilege and competition and materialism, how all of those things really drive us to wanting to be hurtful to one another, and even it's affecting our own families. Thanks, Jimmy. Um, you can see, you know, I hope you find this helpful. You can see why he describes him as somebody who knows like a lot about just about anything. I uh, wasn't expecting to hear German from Jimmy this morning, uh, and, but that's, that's who Jimmy is. He knows a little bit about everything. So thank you, Jimmy. That was very helpful, uh, interesting, and, and something just to warn your kids about. You know, even when they get online, they live online. You know, that's something that's so hard for us. I, mean, I think it's hard for me. With my generation, I think the internet is still a tool for me. But it is their playground, right? It is their environment. It is where they get bullied. And I don't even hardly check Facebook, you know? So I'm like, I, I, it doesn't affect me. And so I can't even comprehend, you know, that kind of idea. But it's, uh, it's there, so we need to be aware of that. Um, we're continuing in the, the Price of Privilege. This is a book that uh, I've read a couple times. I think it's very helpful. You, uh, I would encourage all of you to, to get it if you can. Um, it is... Uh, as we go through the book, one of the, one of the reasons I really connect with it, I think, is is her, one of her main uh, goals. And and she is a psychologist who is not. Um, I don't think she's a believer. At least there's no evidence in the book that she's a believer. And so I'm getting common grace insights from her book as to uh, things that she's saying. But one of her main theses is that we should be working towards our kids being autonomous. And if you've been to Parent You at any amount of time, you know that is a major theme that I talk about is how do we equip our kids to be independent? Because when we don't, uh, we're not really helping them out. Like there is a time when they're going to leave home, we hope, right? And sometimes I wonder about that. But there's a time when they're going to leave home and have we equipped them to do that? That is kind of so important that we constantly keep that as the goal in front of us. And she does a great job of that. And really, she talks about it from a, a psychological you know, development point of view, which is an angle that I don't normally hit 
Um, and so what I've been doing, if, if you're here for the first time, you can jump in at any point uh, in this discussion. And autonomy is a, is a huge factor. She, she has been speaking, and last, last month we talked a lot about developing a healthy sense of self. And that is one of her main things. Like how does, as a child grows and becomes uh, an adult, psychologically, how they view themselves, are they healthy? Do they have a healthy persona, a healthy sense of self? And she said, and, and I quoted this last, last month, that a healthy sense of self is made up of three things. And one is autonomy, which is you can be independent and take care of yourself. The second is connection. Well, and, and I went into autonomy in depth last, actually the last two months. We talked a lot about autonomy. So I'm not going to cover that as much today, but go back if you, if you missed that. Last month, you can check out the podcast and it, it will go into that in more detail. The second one, she said, is connection. Life is better when it is shared. Um, people who are successful know how to work with other people. They are liked, and they know how to be a part of a team. Okay? Um, and then the third one is confidence. You have to be capable of something. And within that, there is an internal home, a place where you go when your independence is shaky, your connection is broken, and you don't feel confident. You can what she calls self-soothe in a healthy way. And she said, this is my idea of a healthy sense of self. So a, a child, as they grow into a, an adult, has a healthy sense of self when they're autonomous, right? They, they know how to interact with the environment on their own. Then they're connected to other people, right? And then they have confidence. Now, it, it, if we talk about connection, I think that one's easy for us to think about. Um, I was, 1 Corinthians 12:14 says for the body does not consist of one member but of many. You know, as as you think about connection, I I think okay, if only God had created some kind of uh, organization that we could all be connected to, uh and he did. It's called the church, right? That's we're supposed to have connection. He created us as human beings to be in connection with each other. In fact, the first thing that he said was not good in all creation was what? It is not good for man to be alone, <laughs> right? So uh, now if you have a child who's introverted and so on, or, or, you know, I'm not saying you can't grow up, uh, but, and not have, you know, be a loner in a lot of ways, but if you're only a loner, you're probably not the healthiest individual, right? You have to be able to interact with other people. You have to have connection. And God has given us the church as a primary place to do that. And that's not the only place, right? Our kids are involved in sports teams and clubs and, and drama and uh, academic organizations, right? And you can just think of any number of things. And it is really good for us to put our kids in those things so that we see how they interact because God uses our connection with other people as a major tool for shaping who we are, doesn't he? Like we, other factors we've talked about, like last week we talked about developing self-management techniques, right? Self-control really is what that's about. How do I self-manage? Can I sit still? Can I uh, you know, do I interrupt people, or, you know, and things like that. Personal space. I mean, you can think of so many different things with self-management. But how can you develop self-management by yourself? It's impossible. You have to be around other people. And we don't even know. In some ways, you know, you think about with school, an exam is what tells you how you're doing in the education process, right? Whether you like testing or not, it is a measurement of, okay, what, what did you learn? You take a test. Well, when you're in groups with people, that's kind of the test for how you're developing in some of these areas, right? As you interact with people, you don't know how does your child have good self-control until you see them with on the playground, 
How do they interact? You know, how do they, how do they connect with other people? Do they have the skills to do that? Are they constantly, you know, having their feelings hurt? Are they bullying others? Are they being bullied? You know, you see what I'm saying? And, we're, and when we're in those environments, we're developing, we're developing these concepts. We're developing these, this skill set. And how do, we, how do we do that as we grow in the context of community? And the church, again, should be, for believers, a, a major place where you find connection. In fact, God even goes so far as to say, without you, like you and I, each have a role to play in the church, that the body is not strong as it should be if we're not doing our part in the church. If we're not giving our contribution, the body's not as strong as it can be. So we are a major part of that. Um, Rip turned me on to this book, actually, and, and the how to, I mean, you guys have heard of this book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. I think we've mentioned it several times. It's an amazing book, and it's all about connection with other people and how to do that effectively. I would encourage you to read that book or have your kids read it if you, if you haven't seen it. It's, it's been in print for a long time, but it's, uh, it's definitely good. Now, confidence, as you move to that one, so she says autonomy, which is being able to operate on your own. Connection, which is a, a major part of just growing a, a healthy sense of self. I think those two are key to confidence. Like, you're not going to have confidence as an individual, if you haven't been successful in an autonomous situation, right? And if you are connecting well with people, that's how you grow in confidence, uh, so that when it's shaken, you have a place to go. Uh, I had this really hit home. Uh, as I'm reading this book, of course, Cammie and I now, like last, last month we talked about agency, which is your kids being able to do this. And like, that's the buzzword at our house now. We're constantly thinking agency, agency. You know, my son's like, I'm hungry. And I'm thinking agency, go make your own sandwich. You know, I'm not, I'm not helping you. You're on your own. And, and I had the situation with Jace. Uh, we were at Chick-fil-A um, this last week, and, and this came full bore on me, all of this. Uh, I was thinking confidence. Okay, he's got to learn to do this stuff on his own. He was eating his chicken sandwich at Chick-fil-A, and like he quit eating, and he's like, what is this? And he showed me like a piece of his chicken, and it was like dried and like leather or something at the bottom of his sandwich, which is really weird for Chick-fil-A because, I mean, they're amazing and I, of course, then I was thinking, well, what a great opportunity I have here, right? I'm going to say, well, here, let me tell you what to do. So I, I move into coach mode. Like, normally, I would just, because he's, Jace is 13, um, and, and so I would normally just take care of it myself, right? Go to the counter. But I'm thinking, no, agency. He's got to learn confidence. He's got to grow in all these things. So I say, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take this up to the counter. You know, you're going to tell them, hey, there's a problem with my sandwich, and they're going to give you a new one, right? And so I just kind of and he's like, okay. And so he gets up and he goes and he comes back and his face was like beet red. And he's like, yeah, they told me, well, that's just the flap of the chicken or something. And it got overcooked and then they, and he didn't do anything. And I could tell he was just totally embarrassed, you know, because, and I would have been at his age, I would have been terrified to go do that. Right. Well, now I was not a happy camper. Okay. Like not only was it a fail, for him developing confidence, it was an epic fail, right? Like, I was like, he'll never take a food back the rest of his life. I've just totally failed him. And so I get up, and, I, and, and now I could have coached him and said, no, go ask for a manager, and that's what I should have done the first time, but I didn't think at Chick-fil-A that there would be any way they wouldn't, you know, take care of it. So I ended up saying, well, he's too embarrassed. I'm not going to get him to do that, so I'll just go take care of it. But, and then, when I, then I go up, and of course, the guy's like, well, it's the, he gives me the whole flap thing. And I'm like, well, I don't want a sandwich with a chicken flap in it. Like, and then immediately, the manager's like, give him a new sandwich. And I'm like, well, duh, that's what should happen the first time. So, you know, I go back, and I talk to him, and I, but I did try to coach him and say, well, okay, 
If that happens, you ask for a manager. You know, that's a part of the piece that I left out in coaching him. But my point in the whole thing is, I don't think because of that situation that his confidence level grew, right? Because it, was, it failed. So when we're sending our kids out to be autonomous and when we're sending them out to have agency and to, to grow, they're going to fall sometime, right? And, and, and we need to continue to try to put them in situations where they'll have success, okay? Like I would have thought at Chick-fil-A, for sure, they would have had success. I was really shocked. I thought it was, it was a softball, you know, like I was easy, easy thing, but it, it just didn't work out that time, that time. But that doesn't mean we quit trying, right? Um, so at, the, at this stage in, in the book, too, I've been going through this, and, and we're talking about autonomy, and Levine said something else in the book. She says, so much conflict at this stage, the teenage years, comes from issues of loss, independence, identity, and control, right? We're trying to build this independence, this autonomy in our kids. But she said a lot of conflict comes from that. So I just kind of latched on and really started thinking about that. And in fact, this, this lesson and then the next one, you're just, I'm taking kind of nuggets that so might be a little disjointed, but different things that I think she said that I, I really want to expand on. But this really hit me, you know, loss, independence, identity, and control. Um, and so we're going to take that today, loss, when you think about it. What is, what is this about? And really, the loss for us in parenting is about us. Um, when our kids are developing their own identity and their own independence, they go away from what we think they're going to be. Uh, she describes it as the fact that we have fantasies about what our children are going to become. I mean, think about that. How many of you have sat in your living room while your kids come in and they've got capes on or swords and they're acting or they're singing or they're doing all these things? And in, at that age, right, at three, four, five, we're thinking, my kid could be anything, right? They can do anything. They can be anything. And we have fantasies. Or maybe, maybe your kid's playing t-ball and they round the bases or they play football and you're thinking one day they're going to be, you know, in the NFL or, you know, I don't know what it is, but we, we imprint what we think they're going to be. Well, as they become teenagers, we all know, we start to realize what they're not going to be, right? And when that happens, we experience loss. And there's conflict that arises out of that. And I, I could not even believe, okay, so like I'm studying this lesson, I'm doing this. At the same time, Cammie and I are having these conversations, and I'm just like spitting nails this, this week uh, with my oldest daughter. And these are minor things, okay? But I didn't even realize I was experiencing loss, okay? Like she's, we're, we're trying to get her to get her license right now. And she's more like my sister. She doesn't want to drive. She's not concerned. She couldn't care less. And I'm just like, you will drive. Like it's going to happen schedule the appointment, you know, we're going we're gonna to do this. And I'm getting angry. And Cammie's like, why are you so emotionally engaged? And I think it's because for me, driving was freedom. It was, I couldn't wait to drive. You know, like I probably, as soon as I could, I was ready to go get my license and there was no fear. I was, I couldn't wait to do it. And she's not me. And so there's, and, and it makes me mad that she's not me, you know? And I don't realize that. I didn't even realize that's what was going on. Um, She's not driven academically the way that I was driven, and that makes me mad. <laughs> I mean, if I'm really honest with myself, I'm like, well, you're smart. How come you're not applying in these areas? Well, she doesn't have the drive that I have. And, and so it, it bothers me, and I can get emotionally charged and engaged. 
And it's not that she's made wrong, right? It's not that there's anything wrong with her at all. It's just different, but it, I experience that loss. And when I do, it, it makes me crazy. And this can take lots of different forms. I have a, a good friend who was a, a major, a great athlete in high school and even in college. And then his oldest son comes along, and he is not athletic at all. And can you imagine the loss that takes place there? Or you could even flip that around, right? Maybe you're a PhD and your son's an athlete. And you're thinking, academics, you know, and, and like, that's super important to you. And they're like, I just want to throw the ball, you know, and they don't care. Well, that's gonna, there's going to be some major loss in that relationship when this happens. And so I just encourage you to start looking inside and see, does this happen with you? Uh, my own dad was uh, at one with the automobile, right? He's like the car whisperer, you know. He just puts his hand on the hood and tells you what's wrong. I mean, if I could tell you the number of times he's diagnosed what's wrong with my car over the phone, it's ridiculous. And... My brother is in the entertainment fashion industry, and I'm a pastor. Now, what kind of sense of loss did my dad? My dad, who built drag race cars growing up and hot rods, and that was his thing. And, you know, I, that's not my thing. That's not my brother's thing. And I'm sure he experienced a lot of loss when that comes across. Now, independence is the next one, and, and this is a, a, a critical factor. Again, it, to me, independence and autonomy are almost the same thing, so I'm not going to go into this a lot. But as the independence grows, the one thing I thought of that is a little bit different is I wonder, independence to me, though, is slightly different from autonomy because it's more of an attitude. A- autonomy says, I can do this on my own. But independence says, I want to do this on my own and be my own person. And so I think that has to grow and as the independence grows, it's critical in the development of your child's identity, okay? Now, there's two factors when we talk about identity that I think we need to keep in mind. One is your child doesn't know what their identity is going to be, and they're probably going to change it quite a bit from seventh grade until the end of high school. I mean, I think even just if you take the way you dress, okay, I can remember being preppy, dressing like a jock dressing like a punk rocker. I mean, I tried like all these different things out in the course of those years, you know, I was, and I was searching for something that might fit me, okay, and who I, who I was, who I wanted to be. Now, we all know by the time you go to college, most people figure that out, and that, you know, it's sweatpants, and, and nobody cares by then, but, but in high school, it can be a big deal, right, how you dress, how you're perceived, and so our kids are looking for this, and they're searching for this identity, and they need space, to develop this. You know, if we're constantly over the shoulder trying to say, well, why aren't you dressing like this? Or why, you know, if we're constantly doing that, we're not giving them the space to figure out for themselves what that's going to look like. Okay. And that's where we can really get in. And, and when their identity is developing in a way that is not the way we want it to, that's where we experience loss again, right? These are all all connected and related. And the other factor about identity that we have to keep in mind, and this is where it always sneaks up on me again, is my identity is wrapped up in this, okay? It's not just they're searching for their own identity. You and I as parents, we have an identity that's connected to our kids. One of the reasons we get so upset when our kids do something wrong, especially if a lot of people know about it, is because we're upset at how it affects our identity, okay? So, oh, wow, everybody thinks I'm a bad parent because my kid did this, okay? And, and that affects us, how that, how that identity is wrapped up in us. Again, the athlete dad 
there's a part of the athlete dad that takes incredible pride if your son's the star athlete, right? There's part of our identity that's wrapped up in that. Why do we get so mad when our kid can't play? You know, is that, is that about them or is it about us? And those are questions that we have to ask, you know, how much of our identity is wrapped up in what our kids are doing? And that's a dangerous place for us as parents. If we're upset with them because they're not who we want them to be because it's about us, that's really our problem. And it's not, and it's not theirs. Um, and then the last thing that we get to is control. And obviously, they're exerting their own independence and identity. We're going to have to die more and more to our desires and give up more and more control of the direction of their lives. And that's just hard, right? We like to be in control. And it's difficult to do this. Um, and this is where we have to move more and more from directing to coaching and supporting them, Right? When they're little, we tell them what to do. When they are teenagers, we have to guide them. And when they're older teenagers, we have to coach them, right? Maybe just support them. And that's hard. It's hard because we're not in control anymore. There's so much of their life. And this is one of those major changes for teenagers that we're not ready for. Because, you know, when your kids are just happy-go-lucky in elementary school, and then suddenly they have all this freedom. They're talking to all these people. We don't even know who they're interacting with. They have incredible amounts of freedom and autonomy, whether we like it or not in most cases. And how do we deal with that? Uh, We're losing control. We have to trust them. We have to coach their heart up in all of these different ways. Um, Now, the illustration that she gave in the book for this, I think, is is good. And it it, it covers all these of uh, loss, independence, identity, and control. She talks about her husband. Uh, They had three sons, and her husband loves to ski. And so every year they would go skiing as an activity that her husband did with the sons. And so it was time for the ski trip again, and the dad was ready to book the trip. And his youngest son said, I don't want to go skiing this year. I want to to learn how to do archery. And the dad was like, what? You know, and and he got upset, and, and there was a sense of loss, right? He enjoys skiing. He likes skiing with his kids. His son doesn't want to go skiing anymore. He says, no, I want to do something totally different, and I want to develop my own identity, and I want to be different from a brother who ski. I want to do archery. And you see this whole thing unfold, right? The son's developing his own identity. He's showing independence. He's standing up for what something, an interest that he has is different from his dad. But there's a sense of loss for the dad, right? And there's a sense of control as the whole family is affected by this that happens with even one child, how it can affect everything. And so, you know, that's just an example as... She goes through that in the book that I think kind of covers all of those wrapped up in one little story. And again, this isn't a major issue. I mean, archery or skiing, it's not like life and death. But we still have a sense of loss, even with something like that. Now, here I want to shift gears and say, well, what does the Bible have to say about all these things? Okay, because again, she's not taking it from a biblical perspective. She's looking at this from a psychological perspective. But I always like to take it and say, now, what does the Bible say? And how does the Bible inform us and our hearts as we look at these, at these different things. Well, first we have loss. What does the Bible say about loss? In Luke 9, uh, starting in verse 23, he says this. He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me, for whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. You see, all of the Christian life is dying to what we want in pursuit of what God wants. Right? For all of us, we have to die to ourselves, right? We take up my cross daily. I die to myself. Um, I'm going to lose my life and live my life for Jesus. That's what being a Christian is about. 
It's dying to myself. It's living for Christ. Okay? And so you can apply this same principle when it comes to our kids because if you and I are used to giving up our own will for whatever God wants, it comes down to an issue of trust. Do we trust God with our kids? Do we trust God that he's going to let their own independence and identity develop and he's got them and he's going to guide them and we have to trust him with it? As we're trusting God, are we willing to allow for his plan to unfold apart from our expectations? So we have to die to ourselves, but if we really trust the Lord with our kids, we can die to our expectations for them as well and trust that God has a plan for them that is better. Okay, it's a different plan, but it's a better plan than what we may have. And that is a difficult thing to do, right? We have to, we have to die to it. And I think, though, if we're used to constantly dying, that we, we can get in that mode. We can say, okay, I can do this. We just have to redirect that in, in this situation. When it comes to identity, we, we mentioned this verse last week. Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Okay, there he's saying, God is saying, every single person, I have prepared good works for them to do. I've got something for them to do. He's got something for us to do, but he's got something for our children to do as well. And he has prepared it beforehand. You have in Psalm 139, for you form my inmost parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows that very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret. Intricately woven in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Now, I love the end of that. He's saying that we're intricately woven together. And I love it that he says, you saw my unformed substance. Now, I don't think that is just... Now, I'm going to take some poetic license here. It's a psalm, so we can do that. I don't think he's just saying he saw my flesh and blood and bones. Your unformed substance, God knows what makes up you, the essence of who you are, and he planned that ahead of time. And he knows how he's going to take that. And then the very next part of that verse, in verse 16, he says, in your book were written every one of the days that were formed for me. God already has your life planned out to a, to a large degree, right? He knows what's going to happen. He sees it. It's laid out before him. How you're going to, how, what you're going to do. The, and it, this, these two verses go well together, right? He's prepared ahead of time. He's created you with the unique gifts and abilities just for you and for your child to do that, right? How, are you, how is your child going to walk in the way that they were created, right? You might be an analytical engineer and your child might be a free-spirited artist. And God made them a free-spirited artist, though. And we have to give them the space to be that and use their gifts and abilities um, for the path that God has foreordained for them to walk in. Next, as we talk about independence, again, we want that to be God dependence. That's our goal. John 15, 4 says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I love that last. Apart from me, apart from God, you can do nothing. You and I do not affect eternity 
apart from Jesus, right? And so teaching our kids and pushing them towards godly dependence uh, and, and putting them in situations where they have to depend on God, that's the hard part, right? Because we always want to come in and rescue. But putting them in difficult situations where they can have success, remember what we talked about earlier, having them be autonomous where they have to rely on God and hopefully setting them up for success can be uh, a great thing. And then last for control, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. For if we walk by faith, we walk by faith, but not by sight. I think of that song that came out a few years ago, that Jesus take the wheel, right? And we have to do that with our kids all the time. When we don't know what's going on, you know, hey, Jesus, you're going to have to take the wheel on this because I don't know what's going to happen here. But I have faith that you do know what's going on. You see, nobody really has control, right? I mean, control is an illusion. We, we think we have control of our families, of our kids, of our lives. But in the reality, whether we grab for it or not, we don't have control. Jesus really ultimately does, though. And that's the thing that we have, the hope that we have that's different from someone who doesn't know Christ, is we can say, hey, things are hard with my kid right now, or I don't know where, what's going on, or there... But I have to trust you, Jesus, that you do know and that you are in control. We know the one who is in control. And that should give us hope and confidence as parents as we move forward. Um, Hebrews 11, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. There is so much in parenting that we don't see, that we don't know, and we have to uh, trust in him as we do that, as we move forward. Um, next, uh, the next Parent U is actually going to be uh, at the end of this month. It's the 29th of March because once we get into April, it's just crazy with spring break and Easter and everything. So uh, our next Parent U is actually, it's in about four weeks, but it's this month as well, the last, last Sunday of the month. And that will be our last Parent U until the fall. So we're going to wrap up this book. Again, I've got some nuggets. We're going to talk about warmth as a parent in your parenting style, what does warmth mean? And that's, a, again, a, a term that she uses in how you engage your kids. And then we're also going to talk about different parenting styles. Do you have a permissive parenting style or an authoritative or an authoritarian parenting style? It's good for us to identify where we are on that scale. So we're going to go into those things um, next month, and that will be the last parent you of the, of the year as well. So let me pray for us. And then uh, we can see if there's any more donuts back there. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, just the opportunity to uh, come together to look into your word and to, uh, to learn even, Lord, common grace insights from uh, someone about how uh, you are training and helping and guiding us as parents. Uh, Lord, we need help. It's difficult. And we do experience loss. Um, we do lose control. We, but we want to see our kids grow up and have an identity that is founded firmly on, on you, Lord, that you would be the basis of who they are as people. And as they interact with others, that they would love you with their heart, soul, mind, and strength and love their neighbor as themselves, and that the rock that is Christ would be the foundation of their lives. And that is our deepest desire for all of our kids. And so we pray Uh, For that, help us to get out of the way, to know when our parenting conflict is coming up because of of my own sense of loss, of my own insecurities, and help me to get out of the way in those situations. Help us to guide and coach and direct in ways that are loving. Uh, We praise you, and we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Parent University Podcast. Parent U is a part of the student ministries at Perimeter Church in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit the student ministries website at www.perimeter.org students for more information. Thank you.